When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Forget about the last game of the Premier League season. Forget about the twinkling trophy of the Champions League final. The moment that everyone waits for at the end of every football season is the Football Social Daily End of Season Awards. And that moment has finally arrived as we take a look back on the season that has been and pick some of our winners and some of our losers and give them absolutely nothing in return other than the honour of being mentioned. On today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look back at the 2021-22 season and picking some nominations of people in particular categories from the last nine months or so of football. To do that, I'm going to be your host. I'm wearing my uh, dicky bow. Nothing else, just a dicky bow. Uh, but looking in their regalia, their finery on the podcast today, Narmacorn, Marley Anderson, Joel Tudor. The, the sports social team. How are we doing, boys? The holy trinity of sports social. Get the statue outside the XYZ building. I've just been sicking my mouth at the, uh, <laughs> at the thought of you, Jim, in just a dicky bow. That's put me right off my dinner so. you should be thankful we're Thanks doing this over virtual means it's, you can only see me from the shoulders down shoulders up rather <laughs> so the shoulders down would be a horrible experience no one needs that All right. HR will still be after you in, in about half an hour's time right we've got to crack on with today's podcast because we've got a load of categories to go through here's how it's going to work I'm going to tell you what the category is then Joel Niall and Marley are going to make their nominations then like some kind of set blatter autocracy i'm going to decide the winner in each category as well it's my decision and that's how it goes so let's start off the very first category in our end of season awards is biggest disappointment of the season niall make your nomination please oh my goodness well this is quite a vague category so biggest disappointment could be a team or a player um and I think if you're talking about biggest disappointment from a team perspective, you've got to give it to Manchester United, who ended up finishing sixth in the Europa League spot and probably could have been worse had it not for West Ham 
picking up some adverse results towards the end of the season. In fact, West Ham lost 3-1 to Brighton on the final day, which means that they threw away their chance to finish in the Europa League spots at the expense of Manchester United, who would have been in the Conference League had it not been for West Ham's slip-up. So they've been really poor this season, particularly with the signings they made in the summer. Ronaldo, one of the best players of all time, if not the best to do it in some people's eyes. You've got Jadon Sancho, one of the finest wingers in Europe, who've got some of the best statistics to show, coming from a top club in Borussia Dortmund. Uh, he was someone who was in the England squad at the time, someone who was certainly exciting Manchester United fans. He came in. And Rafael Varane, who's won a number of Champions Leagues at one of the best clubs in Europe and the most successful European club ever in Real Madrid. So you look at those three players, Ronaldo, Sancho and Varane, to join a team that finished second last season in Manchester United, you think, well, OK, they're going to be the ones to uh, to kick on and, and breach the top four and maybe even be title contenders. And it just didn't work like that. So, I mean, I think you've got to give them um, a nomination for biggest disappointment, unfortunately. And very similarly, um, much as you'll know, Jim, because you tipped this team to win the title this year, Chelsea... I wouldn't say they've been the biggest disappointment, but the hundred million pound sign in Romelu Lukaku, or I think it was ninety-five million actually in the end, it's been terrible. He's been a flop. He's been a failure. Uh, it was strange because when he came in, they had a couple of really bright games. There was a game against Arsenal, I remember, where he scored a couple of goals and he seemed to bully and bulldoze his way through the Arsenal defence. And I thought this is going to be it. Lukaku's going to turn up for the books in the Premier League. He's going to show exactly what he was all about at Everton and at Inter Milan and exactly what he wasn't all about at Manchester United. Just hasn't worked out that way. He picked up an injury in a Champions League game and he's come back and he's just not been the same player, which is disappointing, not just from a Chelsea fan's perspective. I think a lot of people are really excited to see another top striker in the Premier League. Romelu Lukaku is one of the best strikers in Europe, but this season he's been nowhere near it he's been miles off it so as much as Manchester United deserve a nomination I think I have to give my biggest disappointment moniker to Romelu Lukaku simply because of the price tag the team he was joining were European champions Chelsea were starting to close the gap on Liverpool and Manchester City of course they beat City in that Champions League final could they have been a top side this season could they have won the Premier League possibly but if you're number nine your 95 million pound striker isn't firing then you've not got much of a chance. And sadly for me, Lukaku has to be the biggest disappointment of the season. Going back to Manchester United, it is quite incredible when you list the players that joined in the summer, how they've somehow managed to make that team worse incredibly over the last season. And it just seems to be one of the magic powers that Manchester United have had since the departure of Alex Ferguson. It doesn't matter who they bring in or who they spend money on the team seems to do worse and worse and perform on a less impressive level every single season. But Lukaku's the player you're going for. Okay, that's your nomination for biggest disappointment of the season. Joel, who are you going for? Yeah, obviously it was going to be United for pretty much every reason that Niall said. Uh, but I'll go with something a little bit different. I'll probably just say Everton, to be honest, because I don't think any person saw what was going to happen to them coming at the start of the season. I think I think even Gary Neville said that they were going to be the surprises of the season. I don't know if he meant the wrong or the right surprise, but clearly it went the wrong <laughs> yeah, way. They were a surprise, to be fair. <laughs> no one expected them to be quite as shit as they were. <laughs> it's your biggest disappointment, Joel, that they stayed up, because I think there's a lot of people that are disappointed in that. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Could have got Richarlison on a cut fee then. Um, but I just think it was just a disaster from start to finish. I remember when we did... 
a podcast at the start of the season. I can't remember which one of you said that maybe Rafa Benitez's sign, uh, Rafa Benitez's acquisition, is may never may never be something that's accepted at Everton just because of his ties with Liverpool, and it just seemed like it was like a poison chalice just from start to finish in terms of how it all went down there. And then you had you know Marcel Brands who went, who's been an absolute disaster with his re- recruitment process, um, and it was just strange to see a team of such quality. Where you've got, I think Richarlison had a 70 mil bid for him from Barcelona a couple summers ago, which was rejected. You've got players who are top, some top quality players there. And even when Rafa Benitez was sacked, I can't remember the name of the manager now. I think it was a Portuguese manager who was friends with Mashiri, who was doing interviews, basically pleading that he was hired by Everton. And it just kind of showed like all oh, this nepotism, oh, nepotism yeah. that was coming Vitor out. Vitor Ferreira. Yeah, that was the guy. <laughs> it was it was strange yeah. how it all went down. It felt like he was about to go for a, his best friend rather than he was going to take Everton out of the absolute nightmare that they were in. But I just next season Lampard's got an even bigger job on his hands now because they were absolutely dreadful this year. And even with the two signings that they made, you know, Deli Ali and Donny Van Der Beek. I mean, they were completely the wrong signings as well in terms of the situation that were that, that they found themselves in. So it's been, I think, a massive wake-up call for them because I know they've got the stadium coming up soon and they've got big plans. And I think this season could have been a really defining season for the future of the club, really, because they might have found themselves in a situation that you know Blackburn found themselves in where they've not been able to come back up for so many years. So it's a, I think it's defining season, wake-up call, especially for uh, Mashiri as well. Um, and you would think that they would try and never be in that situation again, but it was a strange one and I never saw it coming. The slightly strange thing about Everton's season is because they survived... The moment of survival, the penultimate game of the season that saw them stay up, was probably the greatest moment a lot of those fans would have had watching Everton over the last decade. That moment of celebration and that moment of elation is probably the most significant thing that's happened to the football club in 10 years. It's a weird juxtaposition that when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's strange. And that's why I have sympathy with the fans as well, because I know so many you know, pundits and fans were sticking their nose up at Everton fans running on the pitch but like you just say you have to remember they were they were in the reality of potentially going down for the first time in what 60 years and who knows how far they would have stayed down there for so of course it's a relief um I'm pretty sure was it Louis Saha who scored first in the FA Cup final for them against Chelsea maybe I think that might have been a, a bit more of a greater moment than uh <laughs> surviving but I think it was a massive moment for them, and I think it could be a turning point for the season, uh, for the for the club's future, even just in terms of where they go next. Right, that's Joel's nomination. Everton's. So we've got Romelu Lukaku and Everton in the mix so far. What's going to be our third option, Marley? Well, I think uh, pretty much all my nominations have already been boxed off by by Niall mentioning Man United, and then Joel <laughs> Joel going for Everton. I think. Mine, mine was also Everton. But Niall took two in one. Yeah, so due to the Niall covering all bases on his on his answer there, I've been left with nothing. So uh, I'm gonna have to come <laughs> up with one out the box because I I can't be I don't want to be the guy who just goes yeah I agree with the guys before me. So um, <laughs> Even I'm gonna do. I'm gonna <laughs> Even though that's exactly what you do, you are doing. <laughs> yeah, it's what I am doing. But do you know what? I've just, I've spotted an opportunity to throw Burnley under the bus, so I'm gonna throw Burnley under the bus. Um, so. <laughs> You present me with an you tee it up. I'll smash it out of the park. So Burnley um, are my my newly thought of disappointment of the season for the obvious reason that, that they went down. Um, they 
I thought they managed the whole situation poorly from start to finish. Um, you know, number one, if you're not happy with Sean Dyche after uh 15 20 games maybe you know i think they were they were always in the bottom 3 at that point um throughout the season burnley and therefore can you not think of the future at that point and i think everyone got a bit comfortable Deitch knew he wasn't well Deitch thought he wasn't going to get sacked and then the board changed their mind um and said actually like it was like a, a wake up call and they almost woke up one day and got and, and went god where we're crap, we need to do something about this. Um and then they sacked him and I thought they got the I got they got the timing wrong of the appointment. I think it was eight games to go, but when, when uh Mike Jackson came in, but I mean the the appointment it, it, like Jackson himself I think was right for the timing, but the timing was wrong, which is the big the big issue. If you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a new manager, you need to give him at least twelve games, I would say, if you wanna um, seeing it, seeing improvement before the end of the season, um, and Burnley didn't do that. And they, yes, they had a little run, and that the new manager sort of, uh, sort of siege mentality served them to the final day. But once the final day came, I think they'd run out of steam at that point, and that is why they ended up falling out the, um, falling out the top flight for the first time in in about five years. But as I said before, you know, as a club, they they haven't tried enough. They haven't, um, they haven't spent enough. They haven't been brave in the transfer market. I don't know what the funds are like. I know they weren't the biggest at uh, at any point in the Premier League era, but you know that that comes down to to sort of management of of the football club as well as the on pitch stuff. I think they could have been, they could have avoided this situation by not letting the squad go stale. Um, I seen a graphic the other day that was was there. Uh, their team lineup when they came into the Premier League, and you're talking about six or seven of them are, are the same players as, as the ones that went down: Ashley Barnes, Tarkowski, Me, Pope, Loughton, uh, Brownhill. They were they were all there. Um, so why you know why didn't they they push on at any point? The one time they tried with Corne and Vegas, they got they got to be a better team, but it was too little, too late, and the the, the rot had already set in. So for that. Um, for that reason, Burnley are my choice. I'm not going to give it to Burnley. Biggest disappointment of the season. For all the reasons you just mentioned, I think when your expectations are so low, <laughs> when your expectations are low, you can't really be a disappointment. It's like if you ordered But a... why should your expectations be low when you've been in the Premier League for five years? If you go onto Amazon and you order yourself a turd in the box, you can't be surprised when the box turns up and there's a turd inside it. It's just what you've ordered in the first place. So it can't be a disappointment. What I'm going to give the biggest disappointment of this season for, purely because I think... It had two nominations versus one. It's got to be Everton Football Club because they won the transfer window as they do every season. And yet they found themselves (laughs) at the wrong end of the table. And I'm sure it will happen again, again and again at Everton. It just seems to be until the ownership of that football club changes and the management from the top down changes, it feels like they're going to be in Groundhog Day forever, pretty much. So they are our first... I'll tell you what, disappointment of the season needs to go to you, Jim, for choosing the person who's clearly done the least research in Mali as the last person to answer the question, <laughs> giving him some time. <laughs> I, w- I was thinking there's only usually two people on the podcast. One, you know, The person before me can't choose Everton, or if he, if he does, then I'll choose Man United. So then you said Everton and Man United, and then Lukaku, and then Ch- Joel comes in and says, oh, I'll, I'll pick Everton then. Well, uh, and a... that left me up <laughs> creek, so yeah, Burnley. <laughs> well, our first winner slash loser of 
the end of season awards is Everton Football Club. And just to flip things on the head a little bit and give Marley a fighting chance, he can go first in the second category, which is boss of the season, which might be a manager or it might be something else. Marley, who are you nominating? Boss of the season does what it says on the tin. It's anyhow by a by a stretch. If you give it to anyone else, I want to come into a little posh house in little Didsbury or wherever you live and punch you square in the nose. <laughs> it's anyhow, and it's it's not even close. Like it's it's really not. Like you talk about, you get what you order in that last last little uh, sentence you said about Burnley there. Where if you order a turd in the box, you get a turd in the box. If you're Pep Guardiola, you expect to win the league with Man, uh, Man City. You expect to be in the race for it to the final day with Jurgen Klopp and do well in the Cups. Um, but what you don't expect from any manager is is taking over a, a club that hadn't won in 14 games uh, and leading them to an 11th place finish after, at uh, at the end of the season in the... In the circumstances he came in, there was so, so much work to be done. Um, so much off the field, on the field, every, everywhere around the club um, in this new sort of era. Um, and he's done it to, to absolute perfection. I don't think anything could have went could have went better, to be honest. I think um, with the way the club is now, it's just unrecognisable from the club um, that, that sort of... I mean, I mentioned with Burnley stale, um, going stale and stagnating. It was it was the same with Newcastle. I think the rot had set in to the point where they were heading down. I mean, they'd have been gone by by April with the way they were going. Um, but Eddie's came in and, and changed everything round and and done everything that needs to be done to get the club looking forward and and attracting better players to to come in and help the push next season. It's certainly been an impressive turnaround for Newcastle. I think the proof is going to be in the pudding next season. A lot of pundits tipping them for top six, maybe even top four. And then we're going to really see what Eddie Howe's got up his sleeves. Joel, who are you going to nominate for boss of the year? Um, Ralph Rangnick. God, I mean, (laughs) in another life. Um, I think I'll go, it was between two managers actually, but I'm going to go for Antonio Conte just because... When he first went into Tottenham, they were in an absolute dire, dire situation to the point where even we beat them 3-0 at Spurs' stadium, which ended up getting Nuno sacked. And then obviously they ended up bringing in Conte. And that was that was probably a massive tipping point in the season because I think if United would have lost that game, I think Oli would have gone after that and maybe they would have gone for Conte. I don't know. I probably doubt it just because of how flipping he is and I don't think the United board can handle someone like that. But... After he went in, they were ninth in the league. They looked like they were going to be nowhere near getting top four uh, during that season because every team ahead of them literally looked absolutely way better than they were. Um, he arrived where Harry Kane, I think he'd had one goal and one assist to his name in November time, which is totally not like Harry Kane at all. And then he got to um, January time and they made two massive signings in Kulazewski and Bentancur from Juventus and that completely changed the season for them where they've both been probably two of their best players of the second half of the season and I think without Conte those two those two signings would have never ever happened I think prior to that they went for Luis Diaz which I mean he's been a pretty big revelation at Liverpool but if Liverpool come in you're not going to beat them Um, and Adama Traore which seemed to be a blessing in disguise for Barcelona taking him but I think when you look at when Conte's first, when when Conte first came in and the comments he was making after they lost against I think FC Mura who were founded in 2011 I think it was 
it, he realised the task he had on his hands and it looked like he was a defeated guy, to be honest, weeks after he just joined. And then to find yourself winning 10 of your last 15 games and being able to overturn Arsenal, who had who were in the driving seat for pretty much the last 10 games easily, I think he deserves so much credit because um, he hasn't got the... I don't think he's got the greatest squad on his hands and it showed with the way Nuno presented it at the start of the season. So I think for me... Just in terms of how much he got out of that side, which I don't think was a great side at all. Um, for me, I think he should be manager of the season. The impressive thing about Conte this season wasn't that managers are used to having pundits write them off and newspaper columnists write them off. But how many times have you seen a manager write himself off and go, look, I'm not good <laughs> enough. I can't do this job. And then turn it around so spectacularly. I think that's been a really impressive thing about Conte this season. Wrap us up, Niall. Who have you got for your boss of the season? Well, I was convinced that one of the lads would go for Pep Guardiola, who obviously has guided Manchester City to another Premier League title this season, which is what, four in the last five years. Brilliant achievement. Everyone said that when he came to the Premier League, he would find it tough. He did to start with, but since then, he's been easily one of the best managers the league has ever seen. So I was convinced it would be Pep, um, but no one's gone for Pep, and I'm not going to go for Pep either. I'm actually going to go for Jurgen Klopp as boss of the season. And I think the fact that the name of the award is called boss of the season, I think the word boss is something they use quite a lot in the city of Liverpool. So I think it's apt that Jurgen Klopp gets the nomination. Now, if this was strictly Premier League manager of the season, I think it would be a tighter one to call and I might just edge for Pep Guardiola. But seeing as it's kind of a little bit more open and it could just be general manager of the season, I think you have to give it to Jurgen Klopp. His side have played in every game available to them this season all the way through the Champions League. They won both domestic cups, albeit on penalties, both against Chelsea. But I don't think that takes away the achievement. And then to be one point back from being Premier League champions, I think that's uh, an incredible achievement as well. So uh, a credit to Jurgen Klopp. He has moaned a lot. I mean, I'm not sure that there's any more sea to be put into, um, <laughs> seeing as the amount of times Jim's dumped him into the sea on our Monday podcasts for his whinges over the course of a weekend. And yes, he can be obnoxious and he can be annoying when Liverpool lose, but I think he's just a sore loser and his side very rarely do lose. I think, what is it, just two or three defeats this season um, in the Premier League, which is absolutely exceptional. I think it has to be Jurgen Klopp. He's managed to to keep the players hungry, to keep them wanting uh, coming up against the Manchester City side, who are just phenomenal in every aspect as well. It's been a real battle in the Premier League this season. Went down to the final day. They did their bit. They won their game. And that's all they could do. So I think in general, considering where they've got to, um, you know, they've they've been close in the Premier League. They've won both domestic cups. It's been a great season. So Jurgen Klopp, I think, has to, has to be my nomination. I'm not going to give it to Jurgen Klopp because he's annoyed me too much with his whinging this season, as you <laughs> highlighted. I'm not going to give it to Conte. I'm going to give it to Eddie Howe because I think the turnaround at Newcastle United has been spectacular and the threat of Is that because Marley threatened to punch you in the <laughs> yeah, face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I don't, I don't, no one needs that. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I know what I'm going to do for all my nominations coming up. <laughs> Well, we'll have to wait and see whether Marley takes the threat of physical violence as his first line of every nomination to come because there's still a few categories to go. We'll do it next. It's our end of season awards on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Two awards done. Biggest disappointment of the season going to Everton. Boss of the season going to Eddie Howe. Who's going to win? Category number three. Joel's turn to go first. And this is the Unsung Hero Award, Joel. Unsung Hero. Um, it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a pun. It's going to be Son Hyung Ming who's going to be my unsung hero, oh, just what? because. I almost said if anyone mentions Son Hyung Ming, it's not going to happen because everyone says what an underrated player he is, how underappreciated he is, and it's total. <laughs> b- it's everyone not. Says that. And when everyone says a player is underrated, they're not underrated. Yeah, but unsung. He's unsung because he's not even been nominated oh, for the man. Player of the Year this season. I mean, did that you misunderstand? Did you think it was unsung? <laughs> No, unsung. <laughs> he's not unsung. He's got son in his name. <laughs> his teammate. <laughs> now, for me, I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves against the likes of, for example, Salah or Kane or literally anybody who is putting up the numbers that he does this season. Just because he's been one of the main reasons, if not the reason, that they've managed to get back into the top four this season. Um, he's joint level with Salah on 23 goals. Um didn't get nominated for a player of the year award which is absolutely no penalties in those 23 goals as well yeah that's a massive point as well no penalties as well which i mean if he was on penalties kane probably took what about five or six of them he would have been near the 30 goal mark potentially so for me he's just someone who doesn't get the plaud is he he's he's absolutely top world-class player for me um and when you're putting up those numbers and you're still not really in the spotlight in the same senses the, the guys around you I just don't think he's right um, so for me I think he is the, the guy who should definitely be nominated for unsung hero he is an absolute quality centre forward and he's done so well this season to notch up all those goals as you said Marley without a penalty amongst them but I'm still not sure I'd buy the unsung thing so Niall who are you going for Okay, so my nomination is definitely someone who's unsung and it comes from a side who have impressed this season considering the last two seasons they finished just above the relegation zone. And that is Brighton and Hove Albion's left back, Mark Cucurea, the Spanish with the frizzy hair, the guy who seems to scamper up and down the wing. I think he's been really good for Brighton this season. Graham Potter is someone who's won plenty of plaudits for his management style. They're 10th in the Premier League. It's where they finished. 121 years Brighton have been in existence. They've never finished higher 
They've never, ever finished higher as a football club. Tenth in the Premier League is, is the best they've won. They've still got a long way to go if they want to be one of the better teams in the history of South Coast football. But we'll leave that for now. Um, Kukure has been exceptional for them. The most chances created from open play of any Brighton player this season, and it comes from left back. Um, 90 plus more tackles this season than any other Brighton player. Again, comes from left back. And also in recent games towards the end of the season, we know Graham Potter likes to move his system and tweak his formation a little bit. He's also been deployed as one of the three centre-backs in a back three, which I didn't think he was capable of doing. And he's done that exceptionally well. He's such a, a scamp of a player. He's always buzzing around, always trying to win the ball back. And, and he's also added goals to his game, actually scored a goal for the club against Manchester United in one of the games recently in which they won 4-0 towards the end of the season. So for me, he's been the unsung hero of the season. Um, Brighton have had a really good season. We said many a time on this show that if Brighton could improve in both boxes, both defensively, and going forward, then they'll have a better chance of moving up the table. They've done exactly that, and Kukurea has been key both ends of the pitch, putting in tackles, stopping attacks, but also creating attacks as well. And he's also, in the last couple of weeks, been linked with a £30 million move to Manchester City. And I don't think you get linked to a move to the Premier League champions if you're not any good. So for me, it has to be him. Would you say the whole of Brighton have kind of gone unsung this season? Because you're right, they've had a pretty impressive season compared to their recent history but they've flown under the radar a little bit really yeah graham potter continues to do a brilliant job there when you say the whole of brighton do you mean like the promenade yeah. <laughs> the lanes yeah yeah the, the, yeah the whole of it the beachfront properties the pride um, event i mean the whole trebang um they started the season brilliantly, didn't they? They're in the European spots for the first couple of months of the season. They haven't been actually that good at home this year, um, particularly in 2022, since the turn of the year. They've not actually been that good. Whether they've been unsung the whole season, I'm not sure. Um, I think that it's been a hard season. because no, everyone was tipping them for Europe, weren't they? After after 10 or 15 games when they were... Well, I don't remember sick. too much of that. Maybe you saw more of it than me, Marley. But, um, but I remember distinctly... Graham Potter's side being booed off after a nil-nil with Leeds United at the Amex Stadium, which we really laid into the Brighton fans for on the podcast, or at least those that booed. And rightly so, because as I mentioned just a minute ago, 121 years of history, they've never finished higher than 10th in the Premier League in the top flight. So they're a club that are massively punching above their weight. I mean, you speak to Dean Hammond, who we've had a former Brighton midfielder, former Brighton captain. He was skipper of Brighton at just 21, who we've had on the dugout on a number of times this season on Football Social Daily. And he said that the club is unrecognisable from where it was. You know, when he was a player, to be a captain at such a young age, partly because there wasn't that many players there at the time because of financial issues, they didn't even have a ground. There was the with Dean and the Goldstone ground, two different grounds that they were kind of bouncing between at the time. And then since... The, the new investment has come in, Tony Bloom in situ at the moment in terms of uh, the chairman's role or the chief exec's role at Brighton and Hove Albion. They've had a new stadium in the Amex, which is a, an exceptional facility. The training's brilliant. They're an academy one, uh, category one academy. So they've got so much going for them now, which they didn't have before. It was brave to sack Chris Hewton a couple of years ago with Brighton finishing 15th or 16th, uh, you know, or even 17th, just above the relegation places, considering who they are and what sort of a club they are. And many people were turning their noses up going, is that the right decision? They brought in Graham Potter, who's had a, a couple of years of similar finishes to what Hewton had. But we all saw the potential that Graham Potter had. And this season, he's put that into effect. So a 10th place finish is a brilliant achievement to finish in the top half 
having never done so is an exceptional achievement for a club the size of and the likes of Brighton. Whether they've flown under the radar for the whole season, I'm not so sure because as Marley points out, they, they did start the season well and were in the European places. So I'm not sure about that, but I certainly think they deserve great credit for what they've done this year. It's a really strong case. It's probably hindered slightly by the chances of me pronouncing Mark Cucurella name right when I actually say who's won is very very slim so I might just dodge <laughs> that bullet completely and go for Marley's <laughs> what are you going for Marley well I had I actually had two all um, oh, right hang on so it's I've, all right for you to have two now is it no I'm gonna give an honorable mention to uh <laughs> to Craig Dawson at Man, uh, at Man United at West Ham United who was I thought brilliant all season every time I watched him He's one of them players who you think is a bit crap, but then you play, you see him play, and you think he's actually quite good. Like he's he's a lot better than what what you think. His his passing's way better than what you think, um, and he's he's just a, a proper sound bloke. Like he looks like a, a type of guy who, who you uh, you would go for a pint with. But sod him because I've came up with a more left field one, um, and it is. Somebody who not a single person would ever think was an unsung hero on either this podcast or any podcast ever in the world anywhere. Um, And it is Kieran Clark of Newcastle, obviously, because I've got to put Newcastle spin on everything I ever do. So the reason why it's Kieran Clark is because back in, I think it was November or December, we played, uh, Newcastle played Norwich at home. Uh, And after eight minutes, it was a must-win game. We hadn't won any games in the season up until that point. Uh, thanks to Mr. Bruce. Um, and Kieran Clark managed to get himself sent off after eight minutes of that game. Uh, we went on to draw the game 1-1, um, despite dominating with 10 men. But the reason why Kieran Clark is my unsung hero is because by getting sent off in that game, Joe Linton went to play centre midfield. And since then, he's won our player of the season. <laughs> he's turned into one of the best defensive combative centre midfielders in the in the country in terms of form and, and just sheer performances um and if it hasn't been for that um it hadn't if it hadn't been for Kieran Clark getting sent off like an absolute idiot for pulling back uh, Timu Puki who was one on one with the goalkeeper after 8 minutes we'd have never found out that that Joe Linton was actually a centre midfielder and not a centre forward um so for that reason I'm going for uh, going for Kieran Clark and uh, even better, the, probably the highlight of my season outside of of that was when Kieran Clark didn't make the 25-man squad for the resubmitting in, uh, at the end of January. Well, you're right. It's a complete left-field choice and it's one that's not going to win. If only you'd gone for Craig Dawson, it would have been a surefire <sighs> victory. But no, I think... I think Niall's case for Marco Corella to get the award for Unsung Hero, it had stats in it, it had hard evidence. It's got, to, <laughs> it's got to be that as the winner. So he gets our Unsung Hero award. Right, two more to go. And the next one is quote of the year. Niall, you can go first on this one. The quote for me is this one. In the ambulance, I told the medical people, keep my boots, I won't need them again. That was Christian Eriksen uh, in the in the back of the ambulance, apparently, after he was treated by paramedics at Euro 2020. And of course, in February, he signed a contract till the end of the season with Brentford. At the time of recording this podcast, we don't know what will happen with Christian Eriksen, whether he'll stay at Brentford or whether he'll move on to another club in the Premier League or or elsewhere. But what a quote from him. Um, There are a couple of other ones that I could have picked out. Um, There was one from a certain Steve Bruce that I might have chosen, but I think Marley might have his eyes all over that one. But I couldn't look beyond what Christian Eriksen said. Keep my boots, I won't need them again. He knew at that point that maybe that was the end for him. Um, 
but it wasn't. And he's come back and played very well for a Brentford side who have done very well in their first season in the Premier League. So that for me is the quote. In the ambulance, I told the medical people, keep my boots. I won't need them again. Well, you do need them again, Christian, and you've done very, very well. So that would be mine. Great story from one of the great, great quote rather from one of the great stories of the season, undoubtedly. Let's see if you've picked Marley's right. What are you going for, Marley? Uh, he actually didn't. Um, oh, can I, I read the Steve Bruce quote then? Is, is it the one about uh, the fella from Bob? No, it says, It's been very, very tough to never be wanted, to feel that people want me to fail, saying I was useless, a fat waste of space, a tactically <laughs> inept cabbage head. <laughs> Oh, I might, I might change my nomination. Oh, I mean, <laughs> the pantheon of Steve Bruce quotes oh, is not quite as good as "How's the bacon?" Did you say? But it's still a good quote, nonetheless. Do you know what mine? Mine came uh, very late in the day because yesterday I was thinking of, I was trying to think of of quotes and, and pick out which one was the most sort of impactful. But then last night threw up an absolute beauty, and it was. Um, a, a totally smashed Jack Grealish on the uh, on the title parade bus at Manchester City um, when he was foolishly given a given um, a a microphone or well for for anybody that that was watching rather brilliantly given a microphone and he basically was asked like what were your thoughts on yesterday and the, you know the 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 win um, over uh, over Aston Villa. And it was basically him saying that uh, the best thing to happen in the day was Bernardo Silva to get hooked after 70 minutes and taken off because he was absolutely rubbish. When Bernardo was stood about two foot behind him, like, what? <laughs> and then even better, he, he sort of followed it up a few... It must have been about half an hour or an hour later. Um, and it was on Bernardo Silva's um, uh, Instagram story. So Bernardo was had like a little reverse camera on. And he was like, Jack, Jack, what are the reasons why we won the league or something. And he was like, look, number one, something. And number two, Riyad, Pla- Miad- Riyad Mahrez played like Miguel Almiron. Because <laughs> he was that bad. And I was like, I'm not sure what Almiron's got done to <laughs> to get a shot fired at him there, but it's an absolute golden quote and from uh, from Jack Grealish who sounded like Sean Dyche because he was, uh, he'd had that much to drink. So fair play to Jack Grealish for doing pretty much now on the pitch, um, but making the headlines all season by number one, uh, that on the team bus, and number two, calling Stefan Savic uh, a nasty word in the Champions League final, uh, Champions League quarterfinal, sorry. So it's it's pretty much anything Grealish said all season. I did quite like that quote from Grealish on top of the bus, just because the whole of the Man City squad, you could see they had, they had the experience. They'd been there before. They knew what it was like to win. They handled it with professionalism. They got involved, but they clearly weren't overwhelmed by the situation Jack Grealish because it was his first title win had just gone full throttle <laughs> he'd hit the Peronis early doors and was a mess by the time the parade came into well, Manchester I he, he walked brilliant. onto the stage later on with a Heineken in one hand and a Jaeger bomb in the other <laughs> <laughs> amazing right Joel what's your quote of the year oh, I've got two absolute crackers and I've been tossing and turning thinking which one to use but I'll just go for the one that left me with the, the most crazy reaction, which was when West Ham were in Frankfurt for their semi-final of the Europa League and they were losing at this point. And I think David Moyes got a bit hot under the collar and a ball bounced down for him just beautifully to take on the half volley. <laughs> and he absolutely thundercracked it into the crowd, luckily, oh, luckily into the crowd. 
um, after the game, the reporter said, like, what happened with that situation? And he said, the ball boy left a shot. It was nicely on the volley for me and I just had to crack it. <laughs> and for me, that was just, when I when I watched it, I was thinking I was going to show a bit of remorse. You know, he's going to say, I apologise for that. You know, I didn't mean to do it. Instead, he completely owned it and said, you know what? I wanted to absolutely hit that as hard as I could with my right foot. And thank God it never hit the, the ball boy because <laughs> I would have been out for the season. Um, so for me, that was just... I think it just summed up the game, didn't it? It was just out of frustration. But I think the best part, it needs to be accompanied with the video because the grimace on his face when he absolutely cracked the connection on that shot, it was just, it just painted a picture. You didn't need any words with it. So for me, I think that was the quote of the season. My other one though was the Mino Raiola situation, which was absolutely unreal. Um, <laughs> where he said that I'm, I'm, I'm off that the second time in four months they kill me uh, that was a definitely an honorable mention um but no i think the Moyes one to me <laughs> it was a good quote from Moyes. i thought it was quite funny myself but you've got to play to the crowd in this scenario and if you watch him give that quote i think he did it twice i think he did it in his post-match interview with the tv channels and then he did it again in his kind of press conference and neither time did it get any reaction at all from the people. And both times he kind of left the pause. <laughs> yeah, no one laughed. <laughs> yeah, it's like he left the time for people to laugh, got no reaction, and then just like gulped and carried on, <laughs> which which I enjoyed. But I don't think it necessarily makes it a good quote. I think the winner of this one, purely for how overexcited he was about winning the Premier League, has got to be Jack Grealish's drunken antics on last week's Premier League title winners parade. So Jack Grealish and Marley win quote of the year. One more category to go and it's the big one. It's the 2021-2022 moment of the season. What are the boys going to pick? We'll find out next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the End of Season Awards on Football Social Daily. This isn't the last podcast of the season, by the way. We're going to be right the way through here, right across the summer, bringing you updates three times a week on the latest ongoings in the Premier League and the latest transfer news as well. But we are wrapping up the 2021-2022 season with some of our highlights. And it's the big one, the moment of the season that we're going to look at now. Joel, you can go first. What is your nomination for 2021-2022 moment of the season? I think this is just a clear winner. It has to be. And it brought such a smile to my face when I saw it, which was at, uh, at Anfield during the final day of the season where they thought that Aston Villa had brought it to 3-3 in their game. And someone somewhere in that crowd, I owe them a pint because they sent a rumour around the whole of Anfield that they'd equalised. 
and you just you just heard all of Anfield just erupt into a huge roar. Um, <laughs> nobody knew what was going on. You saw the typical guy with the massive radio with the antenna like five feet long trying to tune into the game and see what was going on. Um, and for me, that just absolutely made my season, to be honest, because basically that was the only thing I could cling on to. And it was just the, it was the pure fact that, especially, you know, Salah when he was celebrating, and I think he really thought he did an Aguero moment up until every Liverpool fan in front of him was literally pointing out saying 3-2, three, 3-2. Two, three, two. <laughs> so for me, um, it was just a really beautiful silver lining. I'm sure any Liverpool fans listening will want to send me nasty names, but I'm sorry, but it's just my, it's my version of events and I absolutely loved every minute of it. I love the fact that in football, a lot of our joy doesn't come from the success of our own team. It comes from the failure of other people's teams. It's one of the beautiful things about this game. So Joel is nominating Absolutely. Liverpool's failures as his moment of the season. Marley, what is your nomination? Uh, my nomination is is quite recent as well. Um, it comes from not a, not quite a footballing moment, but almost a moment of perfect karma where... Um, the, the the total idiot that ran on the pitch got what he deserved at um, at Goodison Park when he decided to go up to Patrick Vieira, um, gloat in his face and give him quite bad abuse. To be fair, like he even posted the video of it, the fellow who did it, and you can hear what he's saying. I won't repeat it because the bleep the bleep machine will be worn out by the time it uh, by the time the edit goes out. Um, but he's saying he's saying horrible things to Vieira, and then it's brilliant because because he filmed it and then he and then he posted it. You can see him giving the abuse, and then you just see the sky because Vieira has dropped him. <laughs> Vieira's just tripped him up, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and then tripped him up. And I just think you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, um, and that's exactly what happened. And they've they've police have investigated it and have and said that Vieira's got no action to to face of. Of this, uh, the the fallout from it, which I was hoping would happen, because sometimes we're we're very sensitive, aren't we, and, and say, oh well, set a bad example, but it doesn't really, because it, the only bad example that that anything set in that situation is don't run on the pitch, um, otherwise certain things may happen to you, which you know you're not expecting, and Vieira dealt with him perfectly, um, and that was my moment of the season because somebody got what they deserved, and fair play. I was quite surprised by that news that there would be no action taken against Patrick Vieira, not because of the severity of the actions. And I agree with you, that guy deserved a kick up the arse for his actions at the very least, but because we can sometimes be a little bit oversensitive about this stuff. And there is a tendency to overreact and investigate stuff that doesn't necessarily need overreaction and investigation. Great moment of the season. So far, I think what it's demonstrated more than what a great season 2021-2022 has been, it's demonstrated our inability to remember anything further than one month ago because everything's come from the last couple of weeks of football. Niall, are you going to change that in any way? Yes, I'm going to go a little bit further back, not too much further, mind you. It still comes in 2022, but you talk about um, action being taken and that's exactly what I want to talk about because it's not an on-field problem here that I'm going to discuss as my moment of the season it's an off-field uh, thing that I want to talk about and that's the sanctions for Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich now obviously what we've seen in 2022 starting in February is the Russian invasion of Ukraine 
um, which shocked a lot of people, not just in this country, but across Europe with the way things have been going over there in Eastern Europe. Um, it's been all over our TV screens. And we said at the time that if you think that politics and football shouldn't mix, then you're strange because they inevitably will and they always have done over the course of history. And you can look back hundreds and hundreds of years, sport and politics and current affairs, they're all intertwined, whether you like it or not. And the same thing can be said for Premier League football, particularly when it comes to Chelsea. Of course, the owner of Chelsea uh, and has been the owner of Chelsea since 2003 is Roman Abramovich. That will be the case up until when the proposed takeover will go through uh, as the new owners, the American owners, uh, will take charge of Chelsea from Abramovich. Um, the UK government decided to sanction uh, Abramovich's assets, one of which was Chelsea Football Club. Now, we've seen asset freezes for owners in the Premier League before. It happened to my team, Portsmouth. It's happened to other clubs as well where they've struggled, but never to the scale of Chelsea, never what we've seen um, when it comes to one of the biggest most powerful clubs in in world football let alone just the premier league so for me i think that was a significant moment not just in the season um or in the history of chelsea but in football in general and i think from what we've seen over the last 19 years from roman abramovich who's won 21 trophies in his tenure as owner of chelsea football club i think what we've seen is the power and influence that money can have on the game in this country in 2003, Chelsea were kind of a middling club that would qualify for Europe. They'd won the odd FA Cup. They hadn't won a league title since 1950, I think it was. And then they come in to the um, the money that Abramovich brings them and they end up becoming a dominant force. They sign the best players. They get the best young up-and-coming manager in Jose Mourinho. And credit to Mourinho and those players for doing what they've done and, and won titles for Chelsea and cups for Chelsea. Similarly to Pep Guardiola who's a top manager who's come into a club and had money to spend and bought top players, but you still got to get the job done. So that's not denigrating the achievements, but it just goes to show how quickly the surface of things can change. And they've sort of turned Chelsea from being this kind of middling London-based football club who were a top half Premier League team to now a team that should be competing for the title every season. A team that's won two Champions Leagues as well as a Europa League and many other FA Cups and League Cups as well along the way. Obviously, it's the Super Cup this season as well and the Club World Cup that they've won. And this is all things that have become possible due to the money that have been put in by Roman Abramovich. However, I think the decision to sanction him was the right one with the way things have gone with Ukraine and Russia and whether we will see Chelsea again in the Premier League in the same way as we have done in the last 20 years remains to be seen. I personally can't see it. I don't think Chelsea will be a force in the same way that they have been over the last 19 years in the next 19 years. So that would be my nomination for moment of the season because I think it's significant and I think it shows how football, as much as we like to treat it as entertainment and enjoy it and have a laugh and a chat about it down the pub, um, it is caught up and embroiled in some of the more serious elements of of current affairs and, and world news. So for me, that was moment of the season. That was one of the moments where I sat back in my chair and I thought, wow, this is serious stuff. And thankfully now that the future of Chelsea is looking a little bit more secure than it was, but in terms of what's happening away from the game in, in Eastern Europe, that still looks to be raging on, sadly. A very significant moment, absolutely no doubt. But I guess its significance depends on what happens next in terms of not just Chelsea Football Club and what their future ownership and what their future in terms of football looks like, but in terms of how the Premier League now interacts and accepts its ownership of football clubs. Because the logical idea would be that mistakes are recognised 
and actions are taken to prevent those mistakes being made again. Do you believe that is genuinely going to happen? Well, it's a tough one because from what we've seen in the past, if the Premier League really acted fairly and rightly on some of the situations we've seen, for example, they were quite happy to slap a points deduction on my team when we went into administration because we broke the rules by going into administration, but yet the Premier League were the ones and the FA were the ones that sanctioned the terrible owners that we had at Portsmouth. So who's truly to blame? You're punishing the players and the fans by deducting points from the team when actually you should be looking inward and thinking, "Hmm, maybe we shouldn't have allowed this person to breeze through the fit and proper person's test. And Marley will know similar feelings, albeit on the other side with Newcastle United and their takeover and... No, Marley said on a number of occasions about his team, Newcastle, that there was a loophole quite clearly. And if someone's going to exploit the loophole, you can't punish them for that. That's your own fault. If your rules aren't tight enough and someone exploits that, you can't turn around and say, well, hang on, that's not fair because that's just the name of the game. It's the way it goes. And so I think that maybe you need to think about all of the examples that we've seen in the Premier League in recent seasons and recent years as to whether we'll see a change. It's hard to know because... You know, in terms of the money and the wealth and who should own football clubs, I mean, this is 2003 we're talking about. It's a long time ago now, and the world's changed significantly in that 19-year spell. So it's hard to, to know for sure whether things will change completely. I think that the fact it can happen to a club as high-profile as Chelsea, I mean, it's fine when it was Portsmouth and some of the other teams. Don't worry about them. They're a reasonably small club. We'll just let them drift into, into nothingness. We'll let them go into the championship. It's not a problem. As soon as it becomes... Manchester United or Chelsea or Arsenal or Liverpool or Man City then you've got a big problem because the product of which it is to the Premier League it's a product is then damaged so I mean how how will that affect things moving forward I don't know I guess my point is the Chelsea that we've seen for the last 19 years we're not going to see that again in the next 19 years that would be my hunch I'm very happy to be proven wrong of family members who are Chelsea fans I'm quite glad to see that the club are going to stay in existence whether they'll be the same sort of club as we saw for the last 20 years with them winning all those titles I'm not so sure so for me not only significant because of what's been happening away from football and the, the tragic scenes we've seen in Eastern Europe but also the way it can affect Chelsea, an institutional club in this country, on the field for the next few years. Three very good moments of the season. We've got Abramovich being sanctioned. We've got Jack Grealish getting battered at the Manchester City final day parade. <laughs> and we've got Liverpool not winning the league and the disappointment on Mo Salah's face as he scored what turned out not to be the winning goal. I can't pick, so I'm going to turn the tables on this and make you guys pick your own. So you've got to nominate who you think will win. But you And you know what? In fact... Let's put it on social media. Let's whack it up on Twitter over the weekend. Then on Monday, we can announce the moment of the season from those three nominations. So get on Twitter now at the Sports Social. Cast your vote for your moment of the season. Grealish, <laughs> Liverpool losing, <laughs> or Abramovich out. Which one of those three do you want to cast your vote for? And we'll look back at the results on Monday when we're back for another Football Social Daily. Right, I'm off to get out of my dicky bow and into something far more comfy. Niall, Joel, Marley, thank you very much for your time today with the End of Season Awards. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Marley's not even saying thank you. <laughs> he doesn't like how it's turned out. Uh, I've been on mute <laughs> for the last <laughs> two minutes, just chatting away to myself. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, sums up Marley's season nicely that is it for Football Social Daily make sure you've hit subscribe plenty more to come over the summer not least we'll keep up to 
up to date with all the transfers as and when they happen and all the rumours that are going on. And don't forget, you can always head to the website to find more great podcasts whilst this little rest from football takes place. Podcast.sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk